Hello. Hello. I know, I've seen you all afternoon, but hello again. If you have a Bible there, why don't you crack it open to Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to jump in there in just a moment. Are you all hanging around for dinner? Excellent. Excellent. We have more chickens than a, a chicken coop. I was trying to think, what do you call a, what do you call a group of chickens? Like a, a clock. Is that the collective noun for chickens? It is now. Does anyone know? Because collective nouns are actually quite funny. This is not related to the message. But <laughs> a clutch, a clutch of chickens? That sounds like something you drop when you're going around a corner. Unless you're on your L's or your P's or something, which you don't do any of that and you've got an automatic mostly. Anyway, all right, moving right along. Um, did you know the collective noun for news? You know a new, G-N-U? The collective noun for news is an implausibility. Is that a what? No, it's real. It, it is true. The collective noun for news is an implausibility of news. I don't know why. But, you know, if you really want to be enlightened, go and look up collective nouns of animals and you will find lots of very humorous things. All right, Galatians chapter 4. What I want to unpack just for a few moments because dinner is waiting and I don't like getting in between people and food any more than I like getting in between people and coffee um, because either of those two things can tend to go very, very badly, largely for me, if I do that too much. So um, over the last, well, since we've been back together this year, what I've been endeavouring to unpack, I mean, two weeks ago we went after the spirit of fear and we want to keep ministering into that thing um, because it has become so much you know, part of the power of the air, if you like, or the atmosphere of the air around us and it, it is so ridiculously familiar for many that we just think it's normal and it is just not the kingdom. God has not given us a spirit of fear, Yeah. I just summarised the whole of two weeks ago's message just there. But um, if you haven't got across that, like I said, um, for those of you who were in hubs last week, every time we do something, every time we get together, every time we speak into something, we're not just aiming to give you a nice devotional to enrich your spiritual life. We're actually aiming to take ground. Um, and so typically everything builds upon the last thing. So if you miss stuff, you miss out on part of what we're building. What I want to look at is... I want to unpack just a little bit more of what is it that we're going after? What is it that we're doing as I-61? Um, where are we going? Week one, um, when, week one back, which was what, February, the something or other, second week, first, second week in February, um, I put up, Daniel, if you want to just jump up and pop that image up for me, I put up there again and reminded us of the flow of Isaiah 61. Do you remember this? Those of you who are here where the whole idea is people start over here. In Isaiah 61, it begins with the poor, the broken hearted, the captive, the prisoner, mourning, despair, shame. And then the result of the ministry of Jesus, which Isaiah 61 is prophesying, is we take people from those negative results over there on the left to those positive results on the right, which is freedom, release, favour, crown of beauty, garment of praise, oaks of righteousness, planting of the Lord for the display of His splendour, um, double portion, joy, and so on we go. 
And we unpacked it, the, the idea that all that stuff on the left, the foundation of all of those negative results you see at the beginning of Isaiah 61, comes from absent or distorted love. Where we have not been loved fully, perfectly, completely, that leaves us wounded. And the answer to that is the love of the Father, primarily, and then also the love of His body touching us, bringing us into a place of safety and belonging, presence and power, so that we get our life healed, put back together, and then we can go and love the world, and the cycle repeats. Now, when we get together for church, even that statement actually has some real theological problems. When we get together for church... Anyone give me an idea what the problem with that statement is? The church is the people. The church is the humans. It's not the building. It's not the gathering. It's not the event. So what I want to ask just for a few minutes is, what is it that we are wanting to build? What is it that we are doing here? Are we just providing a place where we run some worship services that provide spiritual activities and spiritual related events to enrich your spiritual life so that you go about your life enriched spiritually? Enlightened even. I mean, it sounds kind of nice. It's better than not doing that. I have a funny feeling there's more. I have a funny feeling there's more. And what I want to ask is, from the view of the greatest apostle of all, which was, I, I would suggest is the apostle Paul, outside of Jesus, the greatest, most pioneering apostle who carried outside of Jesus, the fullest revelation of what God was building when he designed and birthed the church. I want to look at what did he have in mind? Because what he says and what he prays, I want to suggest is a little different to the way that we often approach this group of people, this gathering, this event. And Daniel, if you, you, have you all got that in photographic memory now? So I want, what I want to look at here is in that middle place, I mean, we talked about some of the stuff of life of, you know, recovering and then, you know, getting healthy and whole and then starting to prosper. But from a kingdom perspective, what is it that Paul is, that says we are to be about building and therefore what is it that we're actually about? I'm going to jump in on just one verse in Galatians chapter 4. And it's verse 19. And it's a really interesting set of words that Paul uses here. So Paul in the book of Galatians is in the middle of confronting the Galatian church about they're being led back into a whole lot of legalistic, old covenant, worthless, useless rituals and practices. And Paul's trying to go, hey, whoa, 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 hold the phone. How about we don't go there? That's actually not going to help you. You know, you began in the power of the Spirit. Why are you going back to rules and regulations and all the stuff of man? In the middle, he drops this line because he is in the middle of this passionate, if you like, call out to the Galatian church of, come on, come back to the foundation of what this thing is all about. You're being led astray. And in the middle of it, he drops this line. In verse 19, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I am in the pains of childbirth. Now, any of you who have got any intercessory bone in your body at all will understand that statement a whole lot better than a lot of others. Um, another word that is depending on the version you use is I am in the prevail. I, I'm in that, not prevail, travail. 
wanting to prevail, but I'm in travail. I'm in the travail, the birth pains. I am trying to give birth to something is essentially what Paul is saying. And, you know, just a simple natural reading of that would be something like, um, well, he's working really, really hard. But that's actually not what it says. It's, I'm in the pains of childbirth. And if you understand the process of prayer and intercession, it is literally this groaning, this intercessory, deep down thing where Paul says in Romans 8, that, where he is praying with groanings that just cannot be uttered. Like groanings that are so deep, there's no human words that actually make sense to it. He's in the pains or he is groaning in childbirth until what? until Christ is formed in you. That is what he is about. That is what the greatest apostle of all is saying he wants to see. He wants to see Christ fully formed in you. Let me just look quickly at one other apostolic prayer. Um, And this is what I would call apostolic intercession. This is where an apostle is praying over the church. And then I want to contrast that for a second with How do we think about this? How do we approach this? How would we imagine this be? This is Ephesians chapter 3. So this is Paul praying for the Ephesian church in Ephesians 3.14. He says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's way richer than we have time for because soon we're going to be filled to the fullness of the measure of chickens and you know salad and stuff over there and so I need to hurry up a little more but that is a prayer that is absolutely pregnant and rich with what Paul acting in his role as an apostle wants to see in the church now If we were looking at this today in the way that the modern church happens, we would be like, I pray that God would fill all of your varying community programs with people and that you would have many, many bums on seats and your services would be full to overflowing, that you would need to put on more services and more services and build bigger buildings and then run more programs and, and more activities and you'd have better buildings and better projection and sound and... Am I anywhere? Like, <laughs> this is how we tend to think when we think of church. So one of the most common questions I ask, when people find out that I'm a pastor, after they get over the abject shock of that concept and that idea, especially when I'm out in the corporate world um, doing what I do out there, and they go, well, what else do you do with your time? And it depends on where the person's at as to how much of my disguise I reveal at that point. Um, and you know, I say, oh, my wife and I, we pastor a church. And one of the first questions is, anyone got any idea how many, sorry, what the question would first get asked when people find out I'm a pastor? What would they say? All I heard was up here. Where's your robe? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Not quite, but that would be funny. 
Okay, let me cut to the chase. The most common question I get is, oh, how many people are in your church? They want to know numbers. Six, uh, yeah, thank you. The idea is our earthly idea of success is how many bums on seats? How many people do we bring in on a Sunday? How many bums sit on the seats? How big's your worship service? Um, or, or whatever they, they want to call it. That, that seems to be the measure of success. Yet, when I see Paul praying for the church, that's not what I see him praying. Is anybody out there? <laughs> it's not what I see him praying. It doesn't mean numbers aren't important because every number is a human, is a life that matters. But where we tend to focus our attention when we're thinking of church in the West is we, need, we, we want to get more people in. We want to have our services more full. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not anti that. I'm not trying to shrink it. Much to some of your surprise. I'm not trying to do that. But that is not primarily what we're trying to do. What we want to see is Christ fully formed in people. What we want to see is people actually growing and becoming more than they were before. Let me, let me think of it this way. We, in earthly terms, think of success as how many people, how many people have you got as part of your church? I think true apostolic, for want of a better word, success is more measured by how much, how much space in the spirit realm do you occupy? How, how much of the enemy do you displace by your presence in that community? See, that's more of a measure of true kingdom trying to avoid the word success, true kingdom fruit, Let, let's go for that, is not how many we gather. And like I said, I'm not trying to shrink the gathering. Every, every number is a life, is a human. But I want to suggest our measures of success are all messed up. And why does this matter? Because when we pray, when we, when, when we show up together, we got a whole lot of the wrong things in mind. Jesus said, whenever two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. In other words, and we've talked about that verse before, but when, when even two or three of you together, you can take territory in the spiritual realm. So we look around and go, okay, how many are here today? I don't know, 20, 30, 40, I don't know, I can't count past four. But um, however many they are and think, oh, well, you know, that's, that's okay, that's good. Instead of going, you know, how much of the, of the work of the enemy did we displace in the spirit realm today to allow the kingdom to come and touch people's lives for real? That is so much more of a measure of success or fruit. That's what we're going for. So what I want to just give you is, and I'm going to say a number and you're going to freak out because you're going to think this is going to take a long time, but this is going to be fast because there's chickens. Um, and I'm hoping they're not alive still um, because that would be another different challenge. So when we, when we are thinking about what are we wanting to produce in people, at I-61, what are we talking about? What does it, what is, if you like, the, the product that came out the end of someone who's been part of I-61, what would that look like? I want to give you five things that are at the heart of what we are going for. The first is that people encounter the Father's heart. That's number one. Anyone who gets saved and doesn't fully encounter the love of the Father just becomes more religious. Dramatic pause for emphasis. But when we get people into a spiritual system and they don't encounter the heart of the Father, they get the morality thing and that just makes us more religious. 
and we're not about making people more religious. When people truly encounter the Father's heart, everything melts away and everything changes from that moment. And I don't know how many of you can remember the first time you ever genuinely experienced the love and the heart of the Father. It is the most undoing, transforming experience you can possibly have. In Galatians 4 that I just read to you, that the word, um, when he says, um, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, that the word in the Greek there is morphu. And if it was the word transformed, it would be metamorphu. So if you think of metamorphosis, that morph, that thing in, in there is the word that he's saying, until Christ is formed in you, it was a word that was often used of artists who worked on a sculpture and formed it until it became the image of that which they saw. So until Christ is formed in you, in other words, until your life is, is formed into the image that Christ saw when you were first conceived. That's what we're after. And 20 or 30 people who are formed into the image of Christ can displace giants that 2,000 people that don't give a rip about that and are just doing the religious thing can't do. I could go down that rabbit hole for about an hour, but I'm just going to... So number one is we want to see people encounter the Father's heart. And, that is, and when you encounter the Father's heart, that's the beginning of that inside-out forming process that starts to mould you into the image of the Father. Because all of a sudden, you, when you experience His love, you start to experience how He sees you and that changes everything. So that's number one. We want to see people encounter the Father's heart. Number two, we want to see people activated in the supernatural. Jesus said in John chapter 5, Jesus is being confronted by the religious cops because he healed someone on the Sabbath and apparently that's a really bad thing to do. It's more important that you follow the rules than, than see a cripple changed forever. So they were engaging him in this and Jesus comes back with, and I won't read it for the sake of time, but go look up John chapter 5. Jesus says this incredible statement. He says, if I don't do the works of my father, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe what I say. And when in the book of John, he uses that phrase, the works of the Father, he is talking directly about miracles. And then he says, and even if you don't believe me, believe the miracles. Because if you believe the miracles, you'll end up in the right place. Now, if we, if we do church, in inverted commas, without engaging with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're in danger of what Paul said to Timothy, and that is being a people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. And Paul actually said, with such people, don't even associate. That's a pretty big call. So activated in the supernatural, Jesus said, if you don't see power coming from me, if you don't see miracles following me, you don't have to believe me. And I want to suggest that it's about time the church had the same message. That if you don't see miracles, if you don't see blind eyes open, if you don't see deaf ears open, um, if you don't see people getting healed, delivered, set free, you don't have to believe anything we say. But when you see that stuff, hmm. now if you think, well, why can't we just love people? Well, every time the Gospels say Jesus was moved with compassion, a supernatural act followed. So if we are not walking in power, we're actually not demonstrating the full love of Jesus. 
And this is not just for spectacular. This is, you know, if, if you are suffering, an in, if your child is suffering an incurable disease and Jesus heals them in an instant, yeah, what would you pay for that? Paul said to the Corinthians, we didn't come to you with wise, persuasive words of man's wisdom, but we came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's our mantle. That's why we want activated in the supernatural. So encounter the Father's heart, activated in the supernatural. Number three, discipled in the kingdom. Now, that word kingdom is really important because a lot of us have been discipled in the church. But we haven't been discipled in the kingdom. I've done whole series on this subject and I'm not going to repeat it all right now. But discipled in the kingdom is far more than just, I know how to read my Bible, I know how to pray and you know, and I know how to join a home group and that's all the discipled in the church stuff. Um, we've been very good at the gospel of salvation, but Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached and then the end will, to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. We need to be discipled in the ways of the kingdom because his kingdom is so much higher than this kingdom and the prayer of Jesus is not your church come and your will be done, it's your kingdom come and your will be done. Now his kingdom can change the church, of course, but so all of the church is in the kingdom, but not all of the kingdom is in the church. That's a much bigger conversation. Now, I want to quote one of my favourite theologians and biblical scholars who is not here today, whose name is Vaughan Blackwood. Um, and one of the things that he and I talk about a lot, and, and this, this is his words first more than mine, and this goes to being discipled in the kingdom. He says, don't tell me that the kingdom is happening unless it's happening in between us, unless you're seeing us relate to each other in a different way, unless you're seeing our relationships get more healed and more whole, don't tell me that the kingdom's fully come. This is why we do things like hubs. This is why we, we work on building families because part of being discipled in the kingdom means I don't just go off on this spiritual journey all by myself. It has to happen in the in-between us. We have to um, demonstrate relational wholeness. In the book of Acts, it was said, my, how those Christians love one another. Jesus said, we'll be known by our love, not by our Bible studies or our correctness or our morality. And so discipling the kingdom must look bigger than the church, but also has to include what's happening in the in-between us. Are we growing relationally? Are, are our families becoming more healed and more whole? So that the world looks on and goes, man, what have you guys got? How do you, how do you have families like that? How do you have families that actually like each other? <laughs> it's a novel idea. Anyway, encounter the Father's heart. Activated in the supernatural. Discipled in the kingdom. So there's the first three. Number four, personal healing and wholeness. Everything that we saw in Isaiah 61 that was up on the screens there is all about taking people who are broken and seeing them healed. And I unpacked the very first week back when I unpacked that whole Isaiah 61, a significant prophetic word that talked about how intentional the Father is right now about healing broken hearts. That has been part of our mantle from the beginning and will be part of our mantle until the day we take our last breath, um, is we're about seeing broken hearts healed. And whether that's people that have been Christians for 50 years or 50 seconds, or even people that don't know the kingdom yet, that don't know Jesus yet. Half of... <laughs> I don't know what percentage, but so much of the work that I do in the corporate space is bringing healing to people before they even know where it's coming from. 
where their brokenness starts to get actually encountered with unconditional love, shame breaks off them and all of a sudden their hearts start getting healed. And Jesus actually rebuked the Pharisees for shutting the kingdom of heaven in men's faces and Jesus hadn't even died yet. All I'm saying by that is it's possible for people to experience a measure of the kingdom before they're saved. And one of our biggest inroads into our community out there right now is healing broken hearts because the world is deeply, deeply broken, hurting, traumatised, fearful and anxious right now. And we've got something to give to that. Oh boy, could I spend three hours on that. So, encountering the Father's heart. Activated in the supernatural, discipled in the kingdom, personal healing and wholeness. And lastly, activated and aligned to destiny and assignment. There's been a, a huge move over you know, the last 20, 20 to 30 years even of helping people discover their spiritual gifts and getting them to use them in church. That's a really good thing. That's a really big step in the right direction. It's understanding that real ministry is not only the people up the front. It's like ministry is the whole body. But it's almost like we've stopped short because like, the, wor- the worst manifestation is I'm just asleep. I'm not operating in any gifts at all. I'm just, I'm just kind of existing. Yeah, next level is kind of, okay, I'm awakened to the supernatural. I can, I, can operate in, I can operate in my gifts. I can operate in my gifts to really intentionally bless and serve someone else or to, or to serve other people. But ultimately, if my expression of my gifts and my call and my um, whatever abilities God has given me is not attached to a kingdom assignment that's directly related to taking kingdom territory, we're falling short. Every one of us has an assignment or an attachment to an assignment. This, I can't remember, I talked about this somewhere recently and may not have even been here for all I know, but I know it's been in my head recently. (laughs) That when we hear the words kingdom assignment, we think that everybody um, must, you know, be these massive pioneers and must take ground and actually... The truth is there's only there's like less than 10%, maybe only even 5% of the population that are true pioneers. And so a whole lot of people disqualify themselves because they think, well, I'm not this big pioneer. I'm not this taking ground over here or having this big thing. But what you do have is giftings, callings, talents, abilities that if you attach to the people that do carry that big picture assignment, all of a sudden your gifts, your abilities, your supernatural enablings are being used in the pursuit of assignment. Now, that is so clear in my head, I don't feel like it came out of my mouth as clear as it is in my head. But let me just simply reiterate. Only about five, maybe 10% of the population are the full-on pioneers that are called to plant and lead churches or take massive ground out in, in, in economics or education or whatever to be those you know, real spearhead pioneers. The vast majority of us will attach who we are to the assignment of another and be a part of making that successful, be, be part of making that fruitful. And all of a sudden, when you have that permission to go, right, who can I serve? Where is a pioneer? Where is, where is a king, some kingdom person with an apostolic call on their life, whether that be in the church, the marketplace, government, education, family, wherever? 
Where do I feel this kind of divine flow between us? Where do I feel this connection? And how can I attach myself to them and serve them to help make them more fruitful? That's where the vast majority of us will be. And that's actually really freeing. Because we get overwhelmed. We think, well, I have to do this massive thing. I have to do this huge, enormous thing. And I have to take nations. And No one person can do that. <laughs> Last thing. We were given a word a number of years ago by, by a dear friend of ours. And, and the word was simply about kingdom combinations. And many of you have heard, heard us talk about this before. And the, the concept is really simple. Think of a combination lock. Let's say it's got five numbers. And if it's my combination lock, I can just about guarantee you I'll forget the numbers and I'll have to try and hack the thing to undo it because that's just what happens. But in these combination locks, not only do you need the right numbers, as in the right combination, but you need them in the right places. The right places next to each other. You you get the idea. If you're going to unlock this thing, everything needs to be rightly connected to the next in the right order, in the right position. And this word was God is bringing together kingdom combinations. In the West, we are so individualistic. We're always thinking, what's my destiny? What's my call? What's my this? What's my that? I look in the mirror and go, oh, there's me. Yeah, you know, like, I don't know why I said that, but clearly needing chicken. Um, what God wants to bring together is combinations. Kingdom combinations that when these people get together, something is unlocked that can't be unlocked unless those five things are together or those five people are together and rightly positioned. Did, did, I, did I miss something over there? No, no? Okay, good. Getting the chickens ready. Yeah, okay, yeah. So rather than, rather than just going, God, what do I call? What do I have to do? What do I? What do I? Me, 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 me. God, who are you bringing me together with in a kingdom combination that the synergy of us together will unlock something and enable us to do something that none of us could do on our own? All right, I thought that was a good point. Anyway. Um, so, Diane has a, has a hand up. I'm now excited. We have some interaction. Glory. Have I started to play Wordle? I have seen it, but I have not started to play it. The... Aha. So your kingdom assignment is to go and look up and find Wordle and play it. Yes? You're there already? You're there already? I know this, is, this has become one of the latest crazes, but it's exactly the concept of you have to get the right ones in the right order in order to win, in order to unlock this thing. It's that very thing. This is what we're looking for. So instead of going, me, what do I do? What do I do? Okay, what I want to be clear is, what do I have to offer? What do I carry? What are the talents? What are the anointings um, that I bring? Yeah, so much that I go, hmm, you know, I can, I, I can prophesy. I, do, I get encouraging words for people. But, you know, I don't always feel like doing that in the church. And I go, well, come with me out into the corporate space because I create spaces for that all the time. And people love it. They don't know that it's prophecy. They don't know that God is speaking to them, but they feel strangely alive when the words come at them and go, yeah, come with me. Um, I could do with some people like that. That's just one simple example. Maybe, you know, stories, hairdresser. Sitting there, giving people facials, getting words and praying uh, intercession over them while they're, you know, massaging their head. Perfect. Yeah, you can't say, can I lay hands on your head? But I can, you know, do this and whoosh, up, up, up. Anyway, so encounter the Father's heart. 
Otherwise, we just become religious, activated in the supernatural, discipled in the kingdom, not just discipled in the church, personal healing and wholeness. And that whole thing is freely you have received, now freely give. Where you get set free, you have an anointing to set others free because you found victory in that area. Therefore, you carry authority. And lastly, aligned and activated in destiny and assignment. What is the assignment that God wants to attach your life to? Because no one is disqualified from this. No one is disqualified from this. If you're in the kingdom, there is an assignment match that is attached to your life that God wants to bring you into. I'm going to stop and pray. Did you, is there, we're kind of really out of time, but is there any of your, Megan's got a couple of words that would be really good for us to release. While you're coming up, I'm going to pray that Megan will know which, no, I'm going to pray for us around all of that. So just pop your hand on your heart or something of the sort for a moment just to put yourself in receive mode. Father, I want to ask for every single one of us. God, you are doing an awakening work across the body, across the world right now. You are waking us up to the reality of our kingdom assignment. You are waking us up to the reality of the work that Jesus has done. And ultimately, you promise that nations will come to our light and kings will come to the brightness of our rising or our awakening. So Father, I want to pray and ask that you would continue to awaken our hearts. You would continue to awaken our hearts. You would continue to bring us alive in your love and in your power. And Jesus, we want everything that you paid for, everything that you made available because of your death and resurrection, we want to see manifested here in this I-61 community so that we displace the powers of the enemy around this place and we fulfil Jesus' prayer that says, as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen.